welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Welcome, everyone, to Fracture Line. Dr. Crisco is allegedly back in the USA, but we haven't seen him today, but maybe he'll join us later in the broadcast. Allegedly, our- they let him back in. Allegedly. <laughs> Stuff to say. You can see at Customs so, them looking at him and being like, eh, maybe not so much. I'm joined today, as always, with by Dr. Carl Hansen and, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. And our, it's our pleasure to welcome our guest today, Dr. Noel Siant. Did I pronounce that right, Noel? Yes, you did. It's, is it French? It's French. I am not. I married into this name. You married. <laughs> You're French by marriage. Okay. French by marriage only. <laughs> Very good. Well, we're delighted to have you. Our paths have sort of crossed maybe once or twice before, but we've not had the pleasure of having you at any of our CWIS summits yet, but that's going to change here in just a few short weeks. So we're delighted about that. Please introduce yourself again and then tell us 30-second bio sketch, and then we'll get started with questions. Yeah, so my name is Noelle Salen. I'm a practicing trauma surgeon at Boston Medical Center, and I also do critical care. Uh, I do have an interest kind of in my elective side of things on, you know, abdominal wall reconstruction and that lent itself to chest wall reconstruction which you know I largely learned at Penn during my fellowship with combined ortho and you know the trauma team but it was nice to have that dual perspective other than that I was heavily in education but with a recent switch in job to Boston Medical Center I'm kind of doing more on the operational side and ICU side very good are you a Boston native well I'm a Rhode Island native which is basically a suburb sure. of Boston yeah. suburb of Boston <laughs> yeah the, the younger brother or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and I, we met face-to-face last week. I was in Boston. You, you and your team were kind enough to invite me for a quick visit, and I was very impressed with your team. It's very young, Yes. but they seem very enthusiastic, and we, uh, we've had several already sign up for CWIS membership. So that's exciting. The questions I had today are several, but I'll, I'll start by asking you, your, your comment just a few minutes ago triggered this chest wall, abdominal wall reconstruction and the, the synergies or the overlap. Can you talk a little bit about that? What, how, are you a better chest wall hernia surgeon because you do abdominal walls or vice versa? Or tell us your perspective on that. Yeah, well, I think the beauty of being a generalist, which in a lot of ways that we are, even though we all have little niche practices and, and some other facets, is that you start learning all the layers of the body. And I do think that, you know, as you think about as we're more classically trained in general surgery, abdominal wall reconstruction, you get very familiar with all the sheets of muscular layers that you can utilize, leverage, and move in an avascular plane. And I think it's interesting that really before I started doing chest wall surgery, I didn't appreciate that as much. But once you start kind of exploring those planes, you realize how you can you know, mobilize, have minimal blood loss, get exposure. And, and so yes, I think it greatly informs your care and surgical practice. It's also really handy for infection control. So we've had, you know, necrotizing soft tissue infections of the abdomen, of the chest wall. We do take care of a a very large population that has substance use disorder. So we're seeing a lot of sternal osteo, clavicular osteo, things that are going down into the mediastinum and even to the chest wall. And so some of those principles that we're seeing, you know, with chest wall reconstruction are really helpful for exposing that and INDing effectively the entire chest and sometimes for you know the necrotizing soft tissue infections that we've had from intra-abdominal sources, that same appreciation of muscular layers is important to get where you need to be. 
Yeah, that's very well said. And it's interesting because many of us didn't have much to do with chest wall deformity, acquired conditions of the chest wall until we started doing ribs. And then those patients naturally found their way to us. And now they have a substantial part of my practice, as is true for many members of the of the society. And I think it's, it's an area that really needs dedicated research and techniques and cross-training and collaboration and all that stuff. Because the, the definitive operation for that problem has not yet been defined. And um, welcome, welcome to the gang. <laughs> We're glad to have you. Well, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, honestly, when we first, when I first approached trauma, we used to think of rib fractures as something that, you know, people get over, they all heal, they do fine. But I don't think we're maximizing people's recovery. And we're not thinking about this in the way that a lot of times the orthopods think about getting people back to maximal function. And so it's nice to kind of be involved with a group like CWIS that's thinking about that and pushing the envelope and, and really doing it in a smart, thoughtful way so that we're not doing unnecessary surgery, but we're trying to advance care. Wow. I hope we're recording that. <laughs> can we get her to sign a waiver at the end of this so that we can use that at some point in the future, Sarah? Can we that sound like? So, Noelle, I was, when I was there last week, we had limited discussion, but your situation there is, is in flux. You're established there, but your faculty is new. You don't really have a mature chest wall injury program, nor does anyone really in Boston, to my understanding. Can you tell us yeah. What, the, what the climate is there, what your goals are for your program, and how we might help. Yeah, so the thousand foot up view is looking at the local regional situation, which is exactly as you said, we really don't have a big regional center. So in Boston, there are five level one trauma institutions that are very close to one another. Each do probably 20, 30 cases of chest wall reconstruction. And I don't think it's been well established in the somewhat hierarchical Boston environment who should be doing those. So there's equal parts, thoracic surgery tackling that, trauma surgery tackling that. And then I think there is a natural discomfort for any new physician to kind of step into the realm because it's really at the crux of thoracic trauma in ortho. And while all of our training is extensive and robust, there are some fringes and questions about, you know, orthopedics, exactly what screws to use, what to do when you have infections that are a little out of our normal wheelhouse. There was a very prolific rib surgeon, Dr. Dobin. Uh, he is kind of relocated a little further south. So there's a lot of- We know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of opportunity, I think, to create a center that can specialize in this and we should do that. And so that's kind of one of the pretenses of how we met was talking about that. I am fairly new to an institution I have been practicing elsewhere. And so I'm stepping into the larger climate of making this appeal to the hospital. So obviously having a local regional center that you can refer to is attractive for any hospital situation, but we're really trying to digest, especially with our patient population, if this is something that can actually be uh, sustainable from a financial model. We have the staff, uh, as you said, we have a lot of young faculty. Four of our faculty do rib fixation, have been trained in it and are able to do it and, and practice on their own. We have a variety of new faculty that are coming in that have also been exposed to it and done it during residency, but really haven't done it on their own from an attending model. So we're training them up. And you know we're trying to partner also with CT as well. That's kind of our partner at our hospital because they're doing chest wall reconstruction not from a traumatic injury standpoint, but from whatever they may find in their catchment area from, you know, oncologic processes, um, pectus excavatum, et cetera, so. Very nice. Let me make an appeal, and that is, the, and you probably thought of this already, but you're in a perfect position to start studying a process at its inception. 
And so your historical controls are only going to be weeks or months old, not years old. And I would strongly encourage you to start deciding what data you're going to collect on day one when you start doing these regularly. And some of those questions you just posited may have answers relatively soon. Is this cost effective? Can we initiate a program that's sufficient and results in you know improvements in length of stay and all that sort of thing? Sometimes those projects are easier at the, when you start them at the beginning than in mid-course. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, and that's a great suggestion. Sarah, you've got some questions for Dr. Sayant, I'm sure. Well, I do. We're super excited to have you and your team, you know, kind of engaging in, in the various offerings that CUS has. But I'm wondering, are there things in particular as you bring your program on board that you feel like will be particularly helpful? And as you look forward, do you think it's easier for people that are trying to jump in? Is it easier for them to just come to the summit, block that time out, come to the summit? Or is it easier to kind of, you know, drip your way into it with a journal club here, a case review there? You know, I, and I'm curious where, where you guys feel like your engagement will be easiest. Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. You know, I can speak from the level of the practitioner. So when I started, you know, I was one of the only people doing it at a new institution that didn't actually believe in rib fixation. So I had to really stay within indications, kind of show that outcomes were good, had the eye of some of the other, you know, subspecialties to see how things were going. And what I really found helpful and actually how I got involved with CWIS in the first place was the conferences, the case conferences. Because, you know, not every case is the same. There are considerations that when I had initially done rib fixation and then started doing it that I hadn't considered, like, you know, the more complicated rib fractures, kind of undercalling of how complicated some of the bone quality can be that I think gets undercalled by our CT scans. But once you start operating on it, you start realizing that, you know, the bone may be much worse than you thought, or <laughs> there may be small fractures that once you're trying to move, you know, the actual chest wall around, that become more apparent that you didn't see on the initial even 3D recons. Um, so that was hugely helpful. The summits are a great place as you start building your niche practice. And I, I think that the issues with jumping into that right away is has to do with our subspecialty. You know, we're trauma, a lot of us are critical care. And so you have like the American College of Surgery that you're gonna go to AAST, East, West, the Society of Critical Care Medicine. And particularly when you're junior faculty, which a lot of people that are starting and open to rib fixation are, you're often responsible for coverage for those big meetings. So it's hard to get away. And then when you do choose one or two, it's hard to take a third or fourth week out of the time where you're building your professional practice. As you realize that you're becoming more of a chest person and doing a lot more rib fixation, that becomes a much easier decision to make. And that's where you allot your time. And, and so I think that's kind of the natural process for people. The last piece I'll say, which you touched upon, is program building. Things that make a program building helpful is having people that you can bounce ideas off of that are, which I think this organization really does a nice job with. And I know, because I had talked with Nir Huss and Andy Dobin when I first started, they really helped me. They sent me videos. They helped me with some presentations when I was doing some um, academic things when I hadn't built that up myself. So I think that was huge and could be really helpful from an organizational standpoint. If anyone feels like they have a great database, right, to kind of track their rib fixation, cost analysis, patients, things that could be contributed to multi-center studies, which I know this organization, having that up front, like just even the raw database, you can start putting in your own information and, you know, almost doing it like TQIP does is something that would be super helpful rather than building it in silos that may not connect. And then the last piece is just engagement, which I think CWIS is really good about having active outreach to pull in engagement, um, which is incredibly helpful. 
we get distracted easily in trauma. So it's nice to have a reminder, you know, an email that this is coming up to join in. That, that makes sense for sure. Well, I have a follow-up question to that when you were talking about people to bounce things off of. Since you're in an environment where there aren't a lot of people, you know, there's not a prolific plating environment. Do you feel like you're cornering the market as you're, you know, the only people doing it? Or do you feel like kind of the lone ranger out there by yourself? You know, do you see that as a plus or as a potential challenge? Yeah, well, it's both. Yes, (laughs) for sure. I know when I first started, I felt like it was a challenge and it was hard to kind of outreach to people. And you don't even know who the people are to outreach to. Mark DeMoya was luckily one of my partners when I first started. So I had him locally, but when he moved on, I could always reach out to him. It's not a straightforward thing to building a referral center, particularly at least in the New England area because of exactly what you said. Um, And I think the complications that we will run into is there are a lot of agreements about where to transfer patients. And while we may transfer patients to places that do a lot of Whipples because we have quality measures showing that the more cases that you do, the better the outcomes, we don't have anything equivalent for that yet in chest wall. So we really don't have the precedent to say, yeah, you should transfer to us and that it is better for the patient rather than sitting there not getting fixed or having maybe someone that does it once a year instead of you know more than that. I think a lot of it is exposure. I think there was a time frame that probably most trauma surgeons can remember where I don't think we had proven, well, I'll, I'll take that back. I think there was science that it was great for flail, but then we weren't sure what the true indications were for it. And I think we did take a little back step in terms of chest wall fixation. So I still think we have to overcome that stigma and really anchor in on the science, do a lot of local advertising to explain why it is important and to move people from kind of a more old fashioned mindset about how to manage the chest wall, which has just always been conservative care and pain control and move it to something that's a little bit more aggressive, particularly for patients that will really benefit from that. And defining those patient populations is a challenge, right? Because we have older patients that you don't want to rush to the operating room, but maybe functionally they would do much better if we did. You also have really young patients, same thing, but they often are much more severely injured and have other things like TBI and high energy mechanisms that might historically make us shy away from rib fixation when maybe we should be engaging it as part of the therapeutic process. That makes sense for sure. Well, I have to put in a plug. We do have an organization outcomes database. So I'm going to send it to you now so that you can uh, you can hop in and start tracking. It's it's our version of TQIP, basically. Right. If you're going to build your own, then at least have the same data points. Yes, so right, exactly. Merge them. It's a terrific resource. It's a, I think it's very useful. We are, I can't remember the exact number, but I'm pretty sure we either just crossed or we're about to cross the 2000 patient mark, which doesn't you know sound like a lot, but it launched less than two years ago and so it's it's on the growth process sorry for the background noise oh that's great (laughs) no it's i'm sure people listening though will be wondering if they're (laughs) if if there's an ambulance coming behind their car (laughs) it's directly below (laughs) yes Exactly. So are you going to have a job for Dr. Hansen in a couple of years? I guess that's the question that we all want to ask ourselves. Yeah, he's from Maine, and I think he kind of wants to stay in that region. We're we're still trying to talk him into trauma because he's trying to decide. But I think we've fairly uh, easily convinced him. Yeah. Nice. Yes, please come look at us. We would love that. Boston's great. That doesn't mean this is exactly how I set my girlfriends up too, like with other people. I do this with, you know, I do this with other people's dating. I do it with job offers. Don't you worry. This is, this is how this works. (laughs) This is the way the world works. Absolutely. Some people call it networking. Some people call it, you know, superfluous flattery. It's just how things happen, Dr. Hanson. You just go with it. I'll take it. it. Yeah. (laughs) 
they must like you, so I already got my ear. That's right. <laughs> I feel like we sort of touched, uh, nibbled on the collaborative center concept here. We didn't really dive into it. I know that you and I had a conversation about it last week, and you and Sarah have been talking about it, but it, it sounds like something that you want for your program as early as it's reasonable. Obviously, you need some sort of track record to qualify for the collaborative center designation, but it sounds like you're going to have the pieces in place relatively quickly. So you want to talk a little bit about that as a goal? Yeah, no, I, we would absolutely love to be a collaborative center. I think we have, like I said, you know, the key things are faculty, having the ability to be able to PI ourselves, keep track of our data. I think we're all very committed to this. We are in the process of feeling how the hospital is going to support that. But, you know, I'm hopeful and I think that we will be successful in that. What is interesting is the um, bargaining power that institutions can have, right, to leverage products and to get cost prices down that can be very different depending on the institution that you're at, which, you know, is kind of where we're starting from. But it would absolutely be something that we love. And I know that our team would do a fantastic job because they're so committed to doing things in an evidence-based way and yet being thoughtful about how we proceed. And, and you know, we'll be presenting a two cases coming up next week that you'll kind of see. We're presented with challenging cases. And I, I think anything that we can do to be more expert and more polished in that is only gains for us. That's fantastic. Well, I, I appreciate you guys putting the plug in. And for any of our listeners that are likewise interested in learning more about the Collaborative Center process, if you head to the Chesswell Injury Society website, cwisociety.org, on our fly-down menu, you can find more information about how to apply the criteria to achieve that designation status. And then certainly you can submit your application there as well and let me know if you have any questions. Dr. White, you look like you have another question. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out the definitive chapter in the world internationally <laughs> on chess wall anatomy. If you want to go to the to the Bible, it's right here. It's chapter two in <laughs> Dr. Des Moines and Dr. John Mayberry's book, Rib Fracture Management. And you'll notice that the author is none other than Dr. Sayan. So congratulations, Noel, on your you. book chapter. And looking forward to your revised chapter for the next edition, which should be out sometime in the next six to 12 months. So congratulations. Well, thank you. That's very exciting. Has Chesswell Anatomy changed much since that was first published? Are we revising much? No, but we've talked about this. You know, she alluded to it earlier, the system of layers and the muscles and the which ones you can get around and get under and oh, leave okay. alone and go through. And there's no real good treatise or, or chapter or book that really explains that adequately. So I'm looking forward to Noelle adding some of her expertise now that she's a chest wall surgeon into this chapter on anatomy, making it more practical. That's my hope anyway. Yep, mine too. It's funny. I wrote that when I first, first started and I don't think I fully appreciated that at the time. So there will be more experience in the new chapter. Awesome. That's fantastic. Well, Sarah, do you have any updates for us? Well, I sure do. Actually, as of today, we are 70 days from the start of the, the summit. Today that we're recording this is February 16th. And yes, I do keep track of the days because I have some sort of masochistic tendency to, to remind myself how close we are. And it is 70 days today. So if you have not registered, and I know there are many of you that have not because you've booked your hotel, I can see you on the rooming list, but I cannot see you on the registration list. The time is nice. So go ahead and get registered. That will be fantastic. Next Wednesday on Wednesday, February 22nd at seven o'clock mountain time, we have case review. So please plan to join details on the website or in the newsletter. And then in March, I'm giving a preview of this one, even though there will be a couple more newsletters. 
We're finalizing the date and time, but we have another journal club coming up. We're discussing an article from some of our friends at Jacoby in New York. They recently published an article that is terrific, and so we're just finalizing exactly when that's going to be, but either March 8th or 9th. So watch for that in the newsletter for Journal Club for March. And then the rest of the March um, offerings will be coming out shortly as well. They're, they're in the newsletter, so you can see those and sign up for them. So lots of good things afoot in the next couple weeks. Yay. Yay. In 70 days. All right. Well, Noelle, we conclude this broadcast with something called the final stitch. We're going to go with Carl first today. Alrighty. So I have a running thing about all my stuff is related to residency, being a resident and whatnot. So I'm in the MICU now, but I'm learning a lot, right? You got to learn something new every day. And when I'm not doing that, I'm trying to buy a house, which is a whole new adventure. I've just lived in apartments. Now I got to try to make a house work. So it is crunch time all around. Oh, and the next level of boards. So it's going to be a busy uh, winter and spring, but hopefully I'll get back out on the hill and do some more skiing. So we'll yeah, see. Baby. You have a heavy sack of rocks you're lifting right now, man. That's trying. That's rough. Yeah. That's, then I edit this every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. that's good. And there's not going to be a lot of profanity for you. That not many swears this time. No. That's good. Sarah. So I am chagrined. My my folks connected with some friends of theirs, some some dear old friends that they don't talk to very frequently, but received the phone number. Anyway, long story, ended up connecting with these dear old friends from high school. And it's been a couple of years since they all chatted. And so then I guess this friend of theirs who has been a triathlete, I mean, he's their age, 66, and triathlete, you know, always a big runner, biker, etc. And he was telling them that it's been more than six months since he's been running or biking. And they said, well, what happened? You know, and he said, oh, Oh, about it. You know, I was on this long bike ride. I was coming back about a mile from my house and I crashed my bike and I broke all these ribs in my sternum. It's just been terrible. It's been six months and I'm so miserable still. And, you know, I was like, oh, oh, my daughter, she knows all these people. You know? <laughs> she starts telling him and he's like, well, why didn't anybody tell me about that? He lives in Phoenix. They told him in Phoenix the only thing, and I'm using air quotes, the only thing they could do was just bind him. And then they unbound him, I guess, after a week because they said they didn't want him to get pneumonia and that if he stayed bound for more than a week, he was sure to get pneumonia. And she, she said, Sarah, he still can't take deep breaths. And I said, oh, I'm so sad. Like, I said, well, do you know where he was seen? And she said, no, but he's so sad. And I said, I'm so sad. So I feel terrible because I know we have about a dozen members in Phoenix right now that are all probably just chagrin and feeling very disappointed about this story. And I was oh, so disappointed. Listening to us, I so know. I was feeling so blue for them. So there you go. Call your old friends. You never know when you could help out. Well, mine's similar, except it's the positive end of that. I've had the privilege of taking care of a nice gentleman who crashed skiing about a week ago and broke his sternum in half, fractured it. Broke a few ribs, but they were really relatively minor compared to the sternum. Displaced, painful. Took him to the OR the next day and, you know, a 45-minute operation. The next day he's jumping out of bed, wants to fly home to Charlotte. I, I told him he probably should wait a day or two, but he he's flying home today. But I saw him in the office yesterday just to check his wound and give him a final check, and his wife handed me this beautiful loaf of freshly baked banana bread. And I just, I mean, how many, how many attorneys get... <laughs> Uh, and CEOs or architects get someone to bake them fresh banana bread baked with love and affection and gratitude. They just don't. So there you go. further evidence that we, we have, despite 
you know, all the things we have to do and the hard work and all that. It's one of the best jobs in the world. I'm convinced. I'm surprised you can say that after how much EMR catch-up you've been doing in the past few days. That's a that's a bold I'm, statement. That must have been... Part of my brain. Yeah, no, that must that's... be really good banana bread that you were eating whilst doing iCentric catch-up. Yeah. Grateful patients, good operation, good result. And I got to share him with a colleague. He's going to go back to Charlotte and he's going to see Dr. Brad Thomas and follow up. And I'm sure they'll take him a loaf of bread too. At least I hope they do. So good that's stuff. my final stitch. I like Noelle, it. you got something for us? All right. It's hard to top that. I'm going to use this that, to say thank you to people that have mentored me to get here. And uh, so... Demoya, Dr. Huss, Dr. Dobin, Niels Martin, who taught me how to do this, um, and to all of you guys, because I think you're pushing us forward. Thank you. I hope I don't break my ribs or my sternum skiing next week because we're on February <laughs> vacation. So fingers crossed. And I guess we should fix ribs to get banana bread. That's the punchline. There you go. <laughs> yes. That's the lesson. That's the moral. It's so good. And it was perfect. It didn't have, you know, big nuts or, any, or raisins or any of that garbage yeah. that people contaminate <laughs> baked goods with. It was just and wonderful. It's hard to get good banana bread. That's like a real it's treasure. It's hard to get. Yeah. That's so true. Chocolate chips in it by any chance? Yeah, you know what? I would eat a banana bread with chocolate chips, but this one didn't have it. I'm not sure that I would. I like it pure. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, I'm, I'm all really about the, the purity nuts, of the banana bread. The raisins are what kill baked goods, I think. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay, well, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. All right, well, thanks, everybody.